Welcome to the Sport Mind podcast series, where I sit down with world-leading guests and unlock the secrets to mental strength in sports. Today, before you dive into the episode, I have something special for all listeners. Are you struggling with self-doubt, overwhelmed by performance anxiety, battling inconsistency, or facing fear of failure in your sport? Are you looking to overcome these obstacles and conquer the mental game? Well, I've got just the toolkit for you. An ebook I wrote called Overcoming the Top 10 Mental Obstacles in Sport, which you can get today completely free of charge. This comprehensive ebook is a treasure trove of practical and actionable strategies tailored for athletes who want to unblock the most common mental obstacles. Each chapter offers digestible advice, providing immediate tools you can apply to enhance your mental game. Readers have been raving about the insights and the transformations they've experienced with this guide. Teresa from California emailed recently saying, your guide is brilliantly helpful. I've just been getting into it and I'm truly excited to use it to help with the obstacles I face regularly. I wrote this ebook to be concise, punchy, and most importantly, practical for immediate application. And the best part, it's completely free, a token of your commitment to your mental and athletic growth. So click on the link in the show notes right now to grab your copy of Overcoming the Top 10 Mental Obstacles in Sport, or simply visit the SportMind Hub by Googling SportMind Hub. Equip yourself today with the knowledge and tools to face those mental challenges head on. Now, let's jump into today's episode and get ready to elevate your mental game to the next level. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and welcome to your next episode of the podcast series. Today, I have on the show Marius Barnard. Marius was a top-level professional tennis player, specializing in doubles mainly, and beating names such as Roger Federer, Andy Murray, Marit Safin, and Goran Ivanisevic, to name but a few. He won six tour titles and was an eight-time tour finalist. He reached the quarterfinals at Wimbledon, as well as the Australian Open, so a pretty punchy CV to say the least. Marius is now an executive coach, EMCC Global, senior practitioner, utilizing a whole range of methodologies, including positive intelligence. He supports CEOs, directors, and managers to improve their performance with tailored developmental programs and managing their work pressures with self-belief, optimism, and resilience. So knowing all of this about Marius, it only made sense we got together and recorded this in-depth podcast about the mental side of the game of life. He is passionate about helping people, and this comes across tremendously well on the show today. We discuss how he lost the match with 17 match points and how this match changed the course and trajectory of his life. Marius specializes in helping high performers in pressure situations, and he gives some wonderful tools and tips in order to keep more grounded and present when the pressure may be at its highest. We discuss the mental well-being side of high performers and how it's all about striking the right balance to produce the best performances. We also discuss the concept of flow and how to try and get closer to this state in all we do. As always, we take so many varied routes and pull on so many different threads in the show today, and it feels like there is more to discuss, so please look out for part two, hopefully coming in the near future. Thank you so much to Marius for his time today, and I hope you enjoy what he has to say as much as I had interviewing him. Please enjoy. Marius Barnard, welcome to the next episode of the podcast series. Thank you for joining me today. Uh, we had quite a cool little offline chat just before we jumped on. But um, as always, listen, I think a good place to start would be for you to give a brief introduction to yourself and what you're currently up to. Yeah. Hi, Jesse. Uh, great to be with you today. Um, I'm currently an executive coach, um, but I'm still coaching a, a lot of tennis as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I'm in York. I've uh, been here for a few years and uh my youngest two boys have just turned 17 today. So, oh, wow. Uh, yeah. Okay. Are they twins? 
Yeah. Nice. They, of course, of course, they got to say that's a dumb question. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and uh, yeah, we just spoke about the is up. They're on a trip to Liverpool today. Very but, nice. Uh, yeah, no, it's it's interesting. Uh, you know what I'm doing now. I've always been really interested in psychology mm-hmm. and, and sports psychology initially, and now business psychology. Uh, you know, I studied organizational psychology in, in, in my degree. But um, yeah, I, I find it really interesting what makes people tick, and and sort of the interesting thing that that you obviously interested in is um, you know high performance. How how do you do it? Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. How do you you make sure that you you bring your best every day when you're performing? That totally. kind of thing. Perfect. Well, yeah, that, this is exactly kind of why we're having this conversation. I'm a mutual friend of ours, Phil Hoffmeyer. So shout out to Phil, um, you know, connected us. I think he's heard a lot of what I've spoken about. He's seen you talk at conferences. Um, and yes, a, a very, a very humble intro. So I, I, you know, you've done a, done a hell of a lot of great stuff on the ATD tour. Sounds like you're doing some really great stuff in the business world, transferring the, the mindset and the skills of, of, of a high performance tennis player across to this domain. And that's, we're going to start to unpack that as we go today. Um, so listen, Roger Federer, I'm going to put that on the table to start uh, i believe you played him twice what can you tell us about this <laughs> yeah no I, it was towards the end of my career sort of i had about two years to go and obviously at that point i had a lot of experience and we saw this young player and uh, you know at that point he'd won junior wimbledon i believe and mm-hmm. um so we knew he was talented but uh, you know we thought well, I, i've got lots of experience so mm-hmm. we, we just went out there and the first time in nottingham uh, we won. We, we we beat him in three sets, and uh, I also knew his his coach at the time, Peter Lundgren, because I okay. played with him years before. And so, yeah, that was. Um, and that, looking back now, I think, well, wow, did I really do that? Uh, sometimes amazing. I have to sort of pinch myself, and uh, uh, because time ticks by and you and you, and you forget. But <laughs> and, uh, and how yeah. old was he at the time? Can you remember? I think he was about twenty. Okay. He was about so pretty established uh, 20, at that point. Yeah, uh, at that point he was ranked 35 in the world, um, mm-hmm. and it was it was literally a year before he beat Sampras at Wimbledon. Wow! So yeah, yeah from yeah, that yeah. point on, he 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 really um, he really moved up the rankings. But uh, he managed to get his revenge. Uh, we, we played again <laughs> a, a year later in Gestad when he actually they, him and his partners uh, Marat Safin they they won the wow. Gestad Open. So that was his first title on Swiss soil. Okay, and I remember reading the. Uh, little headline uh, in, in the paper afterwards it said uh, he would be very um, happy to to beat the double specialist Marius Barnard and Cyril Sook <laughs> so, <laughs> so years later when you read that you're like you think, yes well, <laughs> well you think uh, I don't think he would be that impressed by by his winner <laughs> me, but uh, you know, maybe, at that point, maybe, we, maybe it's we, gone down the list a couple <laughs> yeah I mean when when you're at that um you know at that part uh, in that part of your career, you know, and you, you're looking at a young player coming up, you, you have no idea that they're going to be, uh, yeah, he's talented, mm-hmm. but there are lots of other talented players around the world. And uh, to win 20 grand slams, you would not have predicted that, but mm-hmm. um, clearly he, he, he really improved, mm-hmm. uh, you know, during the course of his career. Did you um did you see anything right away? Obviously, you know, he's still only 20, 35 in the world. Um, so coming to two parts of the question, you know, what did you see as a youngster? And then, Again, we've obviously seen the success he's had. What's contributed to that longevity and that success over the years and years? Because I know as a youngster, he was very temperamental and there's lots of things of him mm. breaking rackets. And and then towards the end, well, like in the middle to end, he's he's Mr. Ice. He just can just handle anything. So what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, that's quite an interesting um, story, I think, because, uh, you know, sadly, he lost his coach, uh, he, uh, Peter Carter, 
um, strangely, uh, in the Kruger National Park, it was involved oh, wow. in, a, in a car accident. And um, that really had an impact on him, I believe. Uh, and then when he started working with Peter Lundgren, uh, there was a lot of, uh, you know, he stayed with the family and Peter put a lot of time into him, um, you know, and, and his development personally, I, I believe. Mm-hmm. Because I think in, the, in the, when he was young, he was, as you say, you know, young up and coming players who know they can be good. They, they feel a lot of pressure because they, they want to get to number one. They want to get to the top 10. And, and that stress that creates in their own minds really uh, make them very driven and, and goal orientated. Mm-hmm. And then w- when they sort of reach the level where they think they belong, then they sort of calm down a bit. So I think mm-hmm. it's twofold in a way. It's, it's um, yes, they're young and, and restless, uh, but they're also very driven to get to a certain point. And when they reach that point or get closer to it, they, they, they seem to be a little bit more calm. I've seen mm. that with, with a few players. And so, yeah, I don't really know his, his, his behavior when he was younger, but I believe right. he did throw a few rackets <laughs> like we all do. Exactly. You know, <laughs> Let's we, not judge too much. <laughs> no, if we want to do well, that's the sort of thing, you know, that, that, that you want to see. You want to see mm. a bit of fire in the belly. Yeah. And, uh, um, and I think he, I, I would say, because I, I, obviously playing him at that age, there was still a bit of re- restlessness in him. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think he calmed down uh, about two or three years later. But I think there was a lot of input from Lundgren and the family. I know they spent a lot of time together. Mm. So um, Yeah, there's, um, there's quite a strong South African link with Federer, isn't it? I believe his mom is South African and he grew up in South Africa. I, I believe he's actually played squash before tennis at one point. I don't know if you knew any of those parts of the story. No, I know his mom is, uh, I think, from Kempton Park originally. Uh and uh, well, I've seen his forehand out wide, and that's a pretty good squash. <laughs> it uh, is, yeah. <laughs> uh, shot there. I, I mean, I played a bit of squash later on when I was about 18, 19. You know, funny enough, people often say to you as a tennis player, don't don't play squash. Mm. Uh, and I actually felt that when I did play, I developed a few new shots, like the angles, reading the angles better on the yep. court, especially mm-hmm. in doubles. And, and it also helped my movement in a way. So um, nice. I think a lot of these sports um, transfer. I, I had a spell when I played quite a bit of badminton. Uh, my wife's a badminton player. And that really helped my overheads and my serve. So oh, nice. I think I think sometimes we're a little bit too worried that these things would have a negative impact. And actually, uh, a lot of these skills transfer and actually good for you. You know, mm. just uh, getting outside of your comfort zone a little bit. And, uh, you know, Developing things like the wrist snap that you you need, um, yep. you know, on a serve on a smash. I mean, it, it's different for everybody, but I, I def- it definitely helped me. Yeah, get a bit more power on my smash and my serve. Mm. And and I don't know if you've seen that clip of um, Roger. We won't talk about Roger much more, but um, where I think he's being interviewed at the U.S. Open, and I think the the interviewer asked him, "So, Roger, what what advice would you give to young up and coming tennis players? You know, like 12, 13, 14? And the first thing he says, "Play other sports. Go do other things. Go play squash. Ride your bike. Go skateboard. Go." And when things get serious maybe still play other sports when things get really really serious then you can start to specialize and i thought it's such a good message and i i believe you're of the same school of thought are you yes yeah Yeah. definitely definitely those those skills can transfer but also uh even playing team sports uh Mm. is good for the mental development (laughs) because tennis is a very single-minded game but like squash Mm -hmm. and uh i think if you get too single-minded too early in your life then uh I think that that can be a limiting factor. Totally, so yeah. uh, I, th- I think it's really good to 
to be in a team, to listen to other people, to sometimes, you know, uh, <laughs> you know, great Cristiano Ronaldo had to sit on the bench for Man U uh, some weeks ago. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, th this is part of a team, you know. If that is what the team requires you to do at that point in time, then then that's exactly. what you need to do. Mm. And so I think that's a good message for kids to learn at a young age. Yeah, you know, the world doesn't revolve around you. <laughs> mm. Well said, really well said. And um, I think there's actually quite a big. I don't. I'm not sure if they studies. I think they are, but um, the link with injuries as well. Actually, when you play more sports, you 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 work different parts of your body, different balance points, yeah. and actually, like your longevity of your career later is actually slightly better. Are you aware of that, or you you, you agree to that as well? Do you? Well, I I just. Uh... I've not seen the, the research on it, but um, I can just imagine. I played rugby. Uh, that was my main passion as a, as a kid. And I only really started focusing more on tennis at the age of 16, which I'll tell you the story in a minute. But mm -hmm. um, I think clearly you, you develop other skills. You know, if, yep. if you're a rugby player, you more strength. You know, I, I, was, I was the fly half. I trained myself to kick with both feet. You know, so that kind of balance... Uh, you know, it, it, it can't hurt you. Mm, awesome. Uh, yeah, I know. Really, really well said. And thanks for sharing. So, but yes, let's um, transition into, into maybe that, that, that 16 year old uh, Marius. And <laughs> I think that the link I want to make here is, is you've got, you've got uh, something called a clear links model to self-belief. And I'm really interested for us to unpack this for myself, for the listeners, um, how this is maybe linked to building confidence also. So yes. take, take the floor, Marius. What, what, what's your thoughts here? Okay. Yeah. So I'll, I'll, I'll start with a story. So to go back, at this point in time, um, I was fortunate because uh, two really good tennis players, uh, David Nankin and Pete Norville, uh, they were just a little bit younger than me, but they played at the same club. And they decided sort of at the age of 10 or 12, they, they went to the Orange Bowl, they're going to be professional tennis players. Mm -hmm. I Rugby was my big thing. I was rugby captain under 12, and you know I was really focused on that. And then when we went into the high school, uh, uh, surprisingly our team did really well and we mm -hmm. were unbeaten so there was a real strong bond with that team our, our school wasn't typically known as a, as a good rugby school what what school we, was it uh df milan okay. and and we know uh we used to lose to boys high and pole gym mm -hmm. every year but in under 14 we were fortunate seven play, uh, players were in the second year at high school they could play down because they were younger and 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 we had an awesome team and we we won every single game that year so there was a real strong bond with the team and that kept me in, in rugby for a bit longer but i had to choose on a thursday whether i go to rugby training or uh, western promise tennis training i went to the tennis training the, the coach said that's fine you know just practice your kicking because i was the goal kicker and then second last game of the season i was dropped okay the the the, <laughs> the captain was inside center and he really wanted to play fly half and so I got to school. Okay, I'm dropped. Then I went on to play the Sugar Circuit at the end of the year and won three of the legs. So uh, those other players I talked about, they had played in the adult uh, okay. event. And so I had sort of a free run and and then my ranking ended up being number one under, under 16 nice. after that in the country. It wasn't a true reflection of the rankings because these kids were actually, uh, Norval and Nankin were actually probably better than me at the time, but it gave me a real boost. And then... Yeah, in the interprovincial, we had this match um, under 16. I'm playing one of my arch rivals, David Adams, who kind of never gives up. He's one of those players who never give up. And I've got the whole team watching. We want to get to the finals to to play Natal. Mm -hmm. uh, and um, we uh, 
I had one match point, another match point, another match. We were in a tiebreaker. I, I, I squandered like six or seven match points in that tiebreaker. Wow. Actually, before that, I think I served for the set. Long story short, and I did verify this with David a couple of years ago, I had 17 match points Jeez, okay. and, and wow. lost the match. How many did he have? Do you know? Did he take his first one? <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, but... <laughs> I, 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 yeah I, I forgot to ask him that, but uh, I think my guess would have been yes. Because okay. <laughs> um, I think at that point, I still remember the first three or four points were actually really good points because I was a net rusher. And he he hit one or two passing shots from like the side fence. Mm -hmm. uh, but then after that, it got a little fuzzy. I was like, how am I going to get over the line here? Okay. And and so I analyzed. And this is not something that um, happened for the first time in the sense because I, I had other matches where I was leading. And then I started playing more defensively. And then my opponent would come back and, mm. and, and win the match. So... So I knew there was something I had to do. So uh, funny enough, my, my mom just dropped this. Uh, I think she like photocopied in a game of tennis, some of the, the pages and, and dropped it into my bag. Nice. She had no idea what it was about. She just knew it was a tennis book that's highly rated. I started reading it and everything just made sense to me. Mm. And so I, I started applying the stuff. So um, non-judgmental. So mm -hmm. I tried to forget about my mistakes I uh, tried to focus one point at a time to stay in the present. Mm -hmm. I, I did this little exercise where I was breathing and counting and just focusing on the numbers and breathing to try and get me more single-minded. So I decided that to stop me from getting the jitters at match point, uh, I'm going to just focus on what I had to do, mm -hmm. my mm -hmm. little strategy. So whether it is, you know, I'm a net rusher, hit it to the back end and move in. Uh, or whatever that little strategy is, I had to have something really concrete to focus on because mm. clearly the thoughts of the outcome of what it would mean that was making me nervous and it, it, it didn't get me over the line. And I was also maybe a little bit, I think, you know, if they talk about fight, flight or freeze. Mm -hmm. I'm probably more of a freeze kind of person. Mm -hmm. So I would, uh, I would play very defensive when I got to that, to that point instead of just playing my normal game, mm. hoping your opponent's going to make an error. Yeah, and, and then, that's... As we know, they yeah. realize it, they sense it, and then they they go for it. They got the back against the mm. wall. And, and it's, playing better. it's so interesting. It's that, it's that it's the same thing. Are you playing to win or are you playing not to lose? It's yeah. such a literally similar outcome, but very different attitude and mindset, isn't it? Playing, playing to win, playing not to lose. And um, yeah, I've heard a lot of athletes talk about dying on dying on their sword, which means... If I'm going to go out, if I'm going to lose this match, I'm going to lose it on my terms. I'm going to lose it by yeah. being proactive, by playing the game I want to play. And actually, your game might be a defensive game, so so be it if that's it. But it's it's more about the lines of I need to trust in what I can do well and put that forward. But it's hard, eh? Because then, the, as you said, the fuzziness comes in. All of the stories start building in your head. All of the you're forecasting, you're ruminating. You, you're not staying yeah. in that present moment. Um. So so how do you try yeah. and stay in the present moment? So um. So I think the breathing exercises really helped me because it, it made me, it gave me the ability to focus on one thing only. Mm -hmm. And that one thing was my little strategy that I had for that point. And it doesn't have to be a, it doesn't have to be a clever strategy. It just had to be something that really focuses me and my natural style of play. Yeah. Uh, listen, when I played David, I remember distinctly, I was net rushing and I was going for it, but he came up with three or four good shots at that point. Mm -hmm. So as I say, in the beginning, it was quite competitive. But then once you start, as you say, 
once you've lost a few, then then it starts playing with your mind. Anyway, so after that, I uh, within a month, I played the National Grass Court Championships with this new regime of focusing, mm-hmm. and, and and I never played on grass, so and I love grass, so I actually won the National Grass Court Championships, beating the number twelve, number seven, number, wow, and, number one in the country, and so. And so that was such a pivotal moment because it the winner gets a, an entry into Junior Wimbledon and an air ticket to mm-hmm. London, and so um, so that also coincided with the squad selection, national squad selection, and I was in the squad, so I, I got chosen. So so that I was off to Wimbledon to play, and then you know with the backdrop of the rugby in the background, and now I'm flying with the tennis. Then That's it so was cool. just a very natural um, sort of progression to say right. Now I'm going to focus on tennis. Yeah. Um, so my teacher kind of, uh, I bumped into him a few years later and he said, oh yeah, you, you'll be thanking me. And I'm like, no, I've never been dropped from the A team. So uh, I, I wasn't happy. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but exactly. actually it did, it did turn out to be a pivotal moment in my, in my career. Yeah. It shook so, out quite well. And I'm just interested to stay with that thread for a second yeah. longer. So yeah, in a game of tennis, highly recommend that people haven't read it. I'm, uh, you know, a lot of people that listen to this have read that book. Uh, phenomenal messages in there about you know ranging from that you know the self one, self two, letting go yeah. of ego, learning to surf the waves kind of thing. There's always going to be waves. Um, one of my favorite bits of the book is right towards the end where it's, it talks about see your comp- uh, see your opponent as a collaborator, not a competitor. And that was a very big mindset shift for me as well. Kind of thinking actually, as someone on the other side of the net. And yes, I'm trying to beat them, but actually if they bring their best game, it brings the best game out of me at the same time. And it's a lovely way to look at it. So yes. the question I, I want to kind of pull on is it obviously had a fundamental shift because it kind of, you know, you had a month worth of it and then you went and won the grass stuff. Um, so that was validation. How often did you try and bring yourself back to it? Obviously, you know, a lot of success in your career, but I can imagine there was times where you strayed away from the model and didn't get it quite right. Yeah. So how yeah. strong did the inner game of tennis come through for the rest of your career? Yeah, no, that, that's a good question. I'll just quickly say about that collaboration thing as well. Um, I think kids, sometimes young players, they they forget that, especially in practice, find the best practice partner, the guy that really, or the, the, the girl that really riles you or, or pulls the best out of you or tests you to the limit because the better they play, the better your practice partner play, the better you're going to play, you're going to become. So, so that's quite interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I did take that model with me, but just thinking back, I probably didn't use it as much as I should have in like my career. One of the things um, I also uh, advise people to do is to watch some of their good matches. If you've ever had, a really um, good match and it's been recorded or something to to go back to that just to experience the feeling and try and get yourself back into that mindset of what you were like when you played that because sometimes mm. I know you're going to talk about flow later but sometimes we have like a purple patch but it, it doesn't always last and sometimes we focus too much on what we do wrong instead of the times when we do things right that's the the thing that we try to to remodel and and and, and you can't you know it, it's it's very difficult to to copy what happened last month this month but um you know you try and build on it and and so so this is one of my uh, theories is revisit your successes mm. more than you revisit your 
your low points, you know, because we try and analyze and figure out what's gone wrong and at these low points, but actually try and figure out what's gone right, <laughs> you know, in our moments of success. But um, yeah, so interesting to that story, uh, it, it continues. And I, and I did really work hard on trying to keep that mindset uh, of um, one point at a time, my breathing, sort of trying to get into the zone um, and positive self-talk. Mm -hmm. you know the self one self two and um so uh, uh, i guess a, another example of success is when i played david adams again in the finals of the kremlin cup in moscow this is five years later and um it's um sort of 91 92 i've not won a title before and now we are in the finals of uh, moscow he's playing with unreal hofsky he's a russian partner you've got the russian crowd and uh, playing with uh, John Lufney Diago. We're in the in the tiebreaker in the final set. And I remember ripping two, three balls down at their feet and uh, they end up missing the volley. And I knew it was close. You know, this is deep into the tiebreaker. And I turned to my partner and I said, come on, next point. He runs over to me, jumps into my arms and he said, we've won. We've won. <laughs> That's and awesome. That's so, awesome. So, and that was the point of it, to be able to get in the zone and focus your mind on what you had to do mm. rather than thinking about the outcome. Mm. Uh, and obviously this is great if you have an umpire, but if, you, if you're in the junior, sometimes you have to call your own score and your own, that. Mm. but uh, you know, at that point that, that really served me well because um, clearly at that point there was, was no nerves of, um, you know, I knew it was close, but I yep. didn't know it was match point. Mm, that's awesome. And, that's a uh, great, great analogy. And um, I mean, the, the other thing is we, we need to understand that we're all unique. So um, I know that John McEnroe, for instance, plays. He really focuses on the seventh game or the ninth game to try and break. Mm -hmm. So he can lift his game. But I try to just play every point at uh, 100%. The problem with that is if you're playing a really long match, like the ones we've seen between Federer and, and mm -hmm. Djokovic over the last few years and, and Nadal, you know, and... and all that matter well mm. andy murray all these guys when the matches are that long you actually have to manage your mm. focus and concentration you cannot focus for that long and it actually uh influenced me uh, uh you know negatively the fact that i was focusing so well because i couldn't do it often for more than an hour and a half or two hours so i sometimes had a drop off in the third set mm. it's a limited you know, resource mm. Yeah, yeah, and 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 you got to manage that. That's why sometimes you say, well, "Why did he lose that set six-one? You know, Djokovic mm. is a prime mm. example of somebody who, you know, oh, he's tired. Uh, maybe he's injured, or no, he's probably nope. just getting his. <laughs> he's mentally ready for this big set. That's, exactly, uh, that's exactly. just around the corner. Did you um? Did you ever reset the scoreboard in your mind? So you know, when you're kind of close to the finish line and you're a little bit desperate to kind of get over. Um, cause I know I've heard other sportsmen and other sports say, right. They just go, right. I'm back at like, you know, you might be an, a, a breakup, but they go, I'm, I'm too all, I'm back at too all or something like that. Even though you're yeah. close Did that ever come into your thinking or not really? No, no, I didn't because I, um, I didn't really focus on the score. You yeah. know, it's, it's, <laughs> you're it's one layer like, deeper. Yeah. Yeah. I get yeah. It. It's just like, uh, I'm just going to play every point and really focus and, and give my nice. best. Nice. And uh, so, so I didn't really have to do that, but I can see the value of it. Yeah, you know yeah. that sort of thing where Clive Woodward gets his guys to start the second half at zero zero, mm -hmm. and they all 
they all change their 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 gear so they they go on with fresh kit exactly feel like this is the start of a new game mm. so I, I think that's a really good mindset to have mm. uh and 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 you have to do that sort of at the beginning of every set you know you've gotten to that point you got over the line in this in the first or second set and now you start from zero again mm. uh, related to that um what I like to do is to start, and this has really helped me, saying every match is a blank sh- script. So it's a blank sheet of paper. I need to go out there and write the script. So you get rid of the baggage of, oh, I beat that guy two years ago and, and um, you know, I'm much better than him. Or, you know, next time, last time he, he made a bad call at such and such a point. So I'm going to really, this is revenge. You know, I don't believe in, in going on the court like that. Mm. I always try and go out with a blank sheet. And um, I mean, <laughs> there will be some guys that get you more motivated than others, but it, try not to take any baggage from the past yep. into the match. And and also don't look too far into the future of what it means. For me, that meant that in tournaments, I, I didn't go and study the draw and say, all oh, right, I'm going to play so-and-so. And then if I beat him, I might play so-and-so. And then in the semifinal, I'll play so-and-so. Because I got burnt early in my career on things like that. Mm. And so I said, one match at a time. <laughs> it's it's such a, a classic. You hear it from the players all the time. And, and, and the press, obviously, they like to see who's so-and-so going to meet in the quarterfinals. And they exactly. want to start talking about it. But your true professionals, you know, when you speak to Nadal, you got to get, give everybody respect. Mm. And you got to just go one point at a time one match at a time don't don't get carried away yeah 100 percent, 100 so um just just maybe circling back um because yeah. that that's some great little avenues that, that we've explored there um the clear links model to self-belief how does this overlap to to how you've been speaking and some of these amazing stories you've just told us yes so i think um when i went to junior wimbledon you know i started playing around people like jim Courier. You talked about Byron Black. He was there as well. And my doubles partner, Pete Norville, who was probably that I've learned a lot from in the sense of mental toughness. <laughs> probably one of the mentally most tough players I've, I've, I've ever played with and, and against. And um, so I started picking up clues. These guys are actually seeing matches in a different way. You know, I'd come off and I'd go, oh, I can't believe I hit a double fault at that point. And I did. And in their minds, it was always about, oh, that went well. I did this. I did that. So I realized they sort of looking at their own performances through a bit of a rose-tinted lens. Okay. And and I thought to myself, this this is quite helpful for them because it's building their confidence. And, um, you know, not a great example, but some, if something goes wrong, it's not their ability. They'll find something else to to blame it on or to focus on. Okay. And, um so I, I thought to myself, this, this could really help me. And then, then I did a bit of sort of reading and analyzing. And uh, I, I even did a bit of um, research in the sense of um, having a questionnaire, mental toughness questionnaire, et cetera. But what I, what I came up with is the idea that when uh, there was a program by uh, Dr. Eagleman from uh, UCLA University, and it was like, what is reality? And to come back to that situation, you walk off the court and your doubles partner will have a totally different reality after the match, how you've experienced it. Mm. And, and, and some of those points, the same thing happens on the other side of the net, but you see it differently from the way they see it. 
and 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 this is interpretations you know we 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 in our minds we we have a dot here and a dot there and a dot there and then we make up a story and why don't we make up a positive story rather than decide that oh i'm just going to remember those two double faults i hit or that easy four and i missed why not make a positive story and remember the good shots you've hit so uh and then he touched on the fact that uh your memories are not a recording of your life exactly mm. so you can actually decide which parts of your uh, what that happened you want to remember and how you want to remember it and so in this clearlings model the idea is to build your self belief and confidence over a sustained period of time and so the first thing is is as i just described your perceptions how do you perceive what's happened how do you interpret it then which of those memories do you bank you know are you banking the positive memories or are you are you focusing on the negatives and as we know that as human beings we we focus on the negatives more because of our survival mode we you know we we trying to remember not to make that same mistake again uh and so try to shift that more to the positive so you build a narrative a self narrative that is more positive and so you remember the narrative also um links into what other people might be saying about you and like you said earlier the predicting it, it predicts the future mm-hmm. your self narrative will predict how well you're going to do in the future mm-hmm. it will give commentary on the past and then that narrative goes into your beliefs so uh, and and those beliefs uh, as we know we we've got this reticular activating system it filters information mm-hmm. and it it aligns with things that we already believe so if i believe i've got a great forehand when i hit that one good shot i'll say right that's just confirm that belief mm-hmm. you know? but if i believe i've got a, a, a you know technically a, a bad forehand then maybe if i miss one shot then i'll remember that one and i'll try and correct it but so you trying to build it all the time and so that that belief system that you have will then go into your self belief and like confidence mm. and and then so that that then it's a, it's a full cycle then that influences your perception again mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so so perception memories self narrative belief self belief nice and uh, and and then perceptions again so uh, so you're trying to influence that whole cycle in in a positive way because uh, as a youngster i i i would travel around uh, europe and go to the clay courts and this was quite um uh, a, a very um tough situation for me playing on the clay because i, I never played on clay as a, as a youngster so um it was kind of mentally demanding how am i going to beat these guys i don't move as well as they do and and i would walk around and say oh look at that guy look at his legs he's going to you know he's he moves so well and then i relative self stop this, this is not going to help you and so then i had to figure out a way to convince myself that i could beat these guys on clay mm-hmm. so what i started doing is as i said my my double spot i beat normal he he had he did quite well on the clay and i said well i can take a set of him he's beaten that guy and so i'm going to make up the story that i can beat that player because there's no point walking onto the court thinking these guys move better than me on clay and yeah totally and so yeah i mean <laughs> my clay court results weren't great but uh, at least i went on the court with with a, a bigger sense of belief that i i could win and and i actually i made the finals of uh, kitspiel um later on in my career well it's actually in the beginning of my career on on clay which uh you know that was a a, a big 
sort of um, for, for me personally, that was quite a big achievement, uh, making the finals of Kitzbühel on clay, which I, I wasn't a great mover on clay. Mm. Uh, and, and I believe it's part of that, that narrative system mm. I started doing. If, if something wasn't beneficial to building my confidence, then I'm not going to go down that track. Nice. That, that and, basically- well, well, thank you for sharing that, that, that story. That, that's really um, powerful stuff there. So a couple of things come to mind. Um, first thing is, is uh, Shakespeare's quote, which always, I love it. It's, it's nothing is either good nor bad until we think it, you know, yeah. it's got to, when we put that attachment, because that's the perspective side of things, your perspective is very different from someone, someone else's perspective. Um, but what I'm hearing you say there, Morris, this, this has to be honed with heightened self-awareness because, you know, you've got to be aware of your inner narrative, how you're framing the situation. And then you put that little pause in, you, you, you maybe accept where you are in that moment, but then like you, you, you change the tape, you go, right, no, I'm going to look at this in a different way. But a lot of, you know, CEOs, athletes, anyone in this world, they don't have that heightened self-awareness. A lot of the time they go through life so often without that going on. So how would you help people with self-awareness? Like, cause I would, would you agree that that has to be the first starting point of things? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It starts with self-leadership, you know, can I manage my own mind? Um, and, and, you know, outside of us, there are so many things that we can't control. Uh, and so if we can control our own mind and our own thoughts and uh, behaviors, then then you're on the right track. And so, yeah, it, it, it's a constant, um, you know, it's a constant process. You know, we, we might think, oh, I'm quite self-aware. How, how do you rate yourself on the, the scale of self-awareness? Mm-hmm. You know, um, and you know, blind spots, you know, how do you uncover your own blind spot? Well, it's a blind spot, so you don't see it. So, <laughs> uh, you know, it's, um, I think it's a constant process and, and, and you learn things about yourself and, and it, you know, it's ongoing. And, it and is, yeah. I, I, I've got that sort of growth mindset. I like reading, finding out things. So, uh, I think that that's really helpful yeah that um and 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 I think one of the biggest uh limiters or uh, you know in positive intelligence we call it saboteurs uh, is uh, the fear of failure and um then if 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 for say for instance we are got a hyper achieving mindset where you uh, your goals are so important to you you must hit those goals and then there's a little bit of fear that you might not reach them then it can really hold you back. So you need to to realize that. And that, that really helped me as well because early in my career, there was a lot of financial pressure. So um, I remember distinctly <laughs> flying over from South Africa and um, uh, with so many lands uh, that didn't get you very far. Uh, and I had to be on the road sort of from February till after the US Open, September. And, and I had a budget of so many rands in the first tournament if you're in the tournament they would pay your hotel bill so mm-hmm. me and my doubles partner rocked up we practiced we, we got there early so really good preparation arrive on say wednesday thursday stay in the tournament hotel and by the time saturday comes it looks like whoa lots of people are turning up from all over the world we're not going to get in okay. so uh that means if we if we don't get in we don't qualify I'm looking at a hotel bill of about 580 pounds or something. Oh, and this is like half my budget <laughs> in rands. Okay. And um, so, yeah, we, we made a plan, you know, we need to qualify. Uh, and, and, and we did. So nice, uh, nice. You know, it's, <laughs> focus it's, the uh, mind with the pressure there. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. But how do you do that? 
how mm. do you stay focused yet relaxed enough exactly to to perform and i remember distinctly saying right okay that's the financial situation this is going to be up here in a box uh, people can't see my hands but uh, out in the corner that's i'm gonna put that in a box and put it away forget mm -hmm. about that all i'm focusing on now is my performance and i want to play as well as i can if i don't qualify it's not the end of the world there will be another tournament but uh, clearly it'd be nice to not lose my budget in the first week because <laughs> mm, yeah, i'm supposed yeah, yeah. to be on the road for another six months so. mm. and that that fear of failure is such a big piece you know a lot of these athletes set these um these lofty goals and and, and i just want to maybe give um or, or kind of put put a, a situation across you so you've got an athlete right and they've been quite a high achiever in their in their young life they've been getting things and they're almost kind of believing in this narrative that, that, you know, being the best of the best is like the bare minimum. Like, like if it's like, a, like it's a lose, lose situation, which means yes. if I go win the tournament, I'm expected to win anyway. So I don't, I can't yeah. celebrate that. But if I lose, everyone's going to talk about me and yeah. there's going to be this, this difficulty. And, and I find a lot of some of the athletes I work with have that mindset that it's like, it's a lose, lose. You, you're stepping onto the court or your arena that you need to perform in and it's lose, lose. How yeah. do you help an athlete recalibrate that then? Yeah, so you have to reset that mentality. Um, I, I saw a very good uh, interview with um, Ash Barty's um, psychologist, and it's it's not totally addressing that point that you were making. I think the first thing is try to – I encourage my players to set their goals or their expectations just above what their level is, Okay. not way above it, mm. because I think that creates – a lot of tension mm. if you if there's a gap um you know of uh, you know 20 percent gap between what you're achieving right now and where you want to be when you walk on the court today you're going to under, be under a lot of stress and 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 i think that that can be detrimental to your performance so set it in little chunks and, and as you move along and you hit your goal then your expectations then you can move it up again up again mm. Um, I, like that. I mean, I would never go on a court, you know, that was a, at my level uh, when I was playing professionally, I would always go on the court believing that I'm going to win. You know, not saying I will win, but if I play well today and I can control um, my, my input and my commitment, uh, there is a chance that I could win this match. doesn't matter if I was playing Federer or um, Safin or, you know, whoever. Uh, quite a lot of times that was proven wrong. <laughs> but I still went on the court believing I could win. Mm. Uh, and so, so I think that's one aspect of it, but don't expect yourself to yesterday. I had an amazing practice. And I couldn't miss one shot that you're going to walk on the match court and do that same thing. And that, that now I'm suddenly very disappointed mm. because in the first game of the match, I didn't hit three clean winners. It doesn't work that way. There's matches are always a little bit, you know, there things will happen. It's never, I mean, I can remember about in 13 years of playing on the tour, maybe five matches where everything just went my way. Hmm. The rest of the time, it's just a battle. It's just up and down, up and down, you, and you got to hang in. That's the, and so, so it is very difficult for youngsters coming through who like at the top of their uh, age group and just win, 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 hmm. because tennis is about learning to uh, lose how to handle losing because on the professional uh circuit it's basically you're going to lose a lot 
you know, you can look at the stats. Mm-hmm. Um, and the point, the point difference, I, I remember one year Djokovic had, um, he went on an amazing run of 64 wins out of 66 matches, mm-hmm. something like that. And he only won something like 56% of the points he played. Wow. Uh, uh, Federer, Murray and Nadal wasn't, um, they, they all had 53% of the points that they played they won because they were ranked two, three, and four. Mm-hmm. And um, Burdage, who was ranked ninth in the world that year, won something like 51% of all the points he's played. <laughs> so you rank number one in the world and you win 51% of the points you play. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so the, the difference is so small. Minutia, minutia yeah. Mm-hmm. And and the, the I mean, there the are a lot of losses that you have to, to deal with, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. So... <laughs> It's really yeah, interesting. I, think... I, I heard, sorry to interrupt, um, Xavier Melis, I believe, w- w- fell into this trap where he was uh, like one of the most talented juniors, won everything. And I think I heard a story of him later in his career. He said he wished he had learned to lose more as a junior because when he got on the pro tour, he wasn't quite able to to figure it out as much. Um, so I think uh, maybe highlights the point there a little bit as well. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, you know, and, and learning, you know, learning uh, that, that journey that you're on. I remember uh, I was at a... Um, challenger in istanbul one year and and sheng shalkin uh who, who got uh, quite high up on the rankings was there and he was very young and um he said i'm, I'm just here to learn so i thought mm. myself wow that, that's a great mindset you know and and three four years later he was in the top 20 you know? yeah wow um, i like that and you know for me playing to survive you know in the, in the beginning of my career just to to win a, a bit of money to keep myself on the road mm-hmm. that, that was kind of very different but uh, yeah i think if you can have that learning mindset you know and you do learn more when you lose i believe uh so i, I think um you know get, get used to losing and then yeah. and then savor the wins you know enjoy the wins and and analyze the wins and and think what did i do well here what did i and that's the same uh, in in business you know getting leaders to focus on what they've done well just remember when did you have your successes focus on those successes build the self confidence but also analyze the successes and take that forward nothing in the future is going to be exactly the same as what you are experiencing now so modify what you've done you know um, adapt it to the new situation mm. but try and, and 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 use your strengths uh in that new situation and and try and thrive that way yeah yeah, very well said. Very good. And I think that's a that's a nice little link to to probably what I want to explore next. And um, so as we know, in some domains, it's all about the results, right? The outcome. It's it's you know everything is being judged on this, especially in business, right? Yeah. So how do you encourage process, knowing the outcome is highly sought after? It's a balance, right? But again, maybe it is at the top end of the tennis, maybe Premier League football teams, it's outcome driven. But we yeah. know, and a lot of people know, process is power. How do we get the balance of that, or how do you go about getting that balance? Do you think? I think it's uh, it's about pre-planning, and uh, so you 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 know what the goal is, you know, and you and you and you go and plan. And say this is what we want to hit, and you you break it down in little steps, in, in little processes. Uh, but I, I I do believe even in business that you cannot control the outcome, you know. Uh, th- those figures, those sales figures, uh, you know, if you, you know, something like COVID happens, those figures need to be uh, adjusted. But 
yes, stick to your process, adapt when you have to. And I think one of the things that I always told myself is if I perform with the best commitment and the right mental attitude, then there's not much more I can do about it, you know? Uh, and, and so that's what I try to do every day. And I, and I thought to myself, right, at the end of the day, when I put my head on the pillow, I know I gave a hundred percent. I can't do any more than this. Mm. And, 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 and I accept it and, I, and I'm happy. Nice. So, um, you know, uh, even 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 business leaders will have quarters where they won't hit the, their targets. Uh, but yeah, break it down, and so that you can actually see how that process is getting you closer to hitting those numbers you want to hit. Mm-hmm. And 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 sometimes you'll exceed them. Mm-hmm. And and same goes for sport, doesn't it? Like like break it down into small manageable chunks. See if you can deliver hundred percent of of your full effort, which is mental and physical, on each and every day. And you've you've got to be happy with that. You got like you said, you got to end your day and and your 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 metaphorical balance sheet has been balanced. And you go on actually that that's all I can do today. And then we rinse and repeat day after day. Yeah, no, definitely. And and always good to sort of at the end of every day to just remember one or two snippets of of, of positivity, something mm-hmm. that you've done that went well. Uh, because as I say, we we do have a tendency to to remember the the bad things, and that's not. Uh, discarding the sort of analysis and 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 finding the mistakes mm. and and changing them and and thinking about oh, i could have done this better i could have done that better but uh i i think it, it's important to uh, and it also depends on your personality but if if you're somebody that's going to get down on yourself if you don't hit certain targets then um then it's important to to keep that positivity yeah just the one point i was uh, going to make earlier about ash barty's coach he was talking about and this is especially for people who are very goal orientated explaining how he had to get her to put her goals out there but then to separate her own self-worth from her goals and i think this is really important so this is what i'm going after this is what i want to do this is what i want to achieve but it doesn't define me as a person I'm separate from that. I'm still Marius Barnard who, you know, ha- tries to have integrity in this and that. But my goal, goals doesn't define me as a person. Yeah. And I think that's powerful. Even though you you really want to hit those goals, um, you know, it shouldn't become you. The goals are not you as a person. Mm. Yeah, no, good. I'm glad I'm glad we touched on that. And I had a podcast quite recently where uh, the the guest was talking about the, like you, you really, you really want something. You want the win. You want the outcome. But that doesn't mean that you have to have it. It's you know, what I mean? and that, that's what he's going. It's kind of the difference between like have and want. Like if you use the word have, that's quite dangerous language. I have to get this one. I maybe I know similar to you. Yeah, yeah, well. yeah, yeah, exactly. I should or I I'm deserve this one. I'm owed this win. But actually, you really want it. So we don't discount the outcome. We don't discount the drive. But as soon as the language tips into the idea of of it's a must. That can become quite dangerous, can't it? And 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 for sports people, I think, um, well, and maybe if, uh, if you think about business people as well, that delayed gratification. Uh, you know, you've seen the test, the, the marshmallow test, where uh, and and how the people who've been able to refer this uh, defer satisfaction, how they often can perform better, because sometimes you have to make sacrifices. You can't have everything now, and. Um, you know, people who are more successful are people that can control 
that ability. Not maybe not to be satisfied now, but wait, be patient. Let's do the right thing, and then eventually success will come. Mm. And that, that gets into the realm of, of almost like um, some discipline training as well, like how you can uh, train yourself with like even the smallest things, I don't know, like ranging from, you know, cold showers in the morning or making sure that you are, I don't know, making sure that your bed is made, like as, as you lead, like the first thing you do is make your bed. It's only small things, but that discipline and then that I think really can like filter into other areas of your life with delayed gratification. So no, I really like that. Yeah. Um, so Morris, you do a lot of work in in the realm of pressure, nerves, anxiety, um, and, and you're working a lot in the space, you know, with, with especially yeah. with business professionals as well. Um, can you help unpack a bit of this? So so when we talk about pressure, what uh, what what comes to mind and some tools that that we can think about? Okay, so yeah, um, that stress management tools that we, we, we all need. And um, you, you, you say working with business people, quite interestingly, uh, two people I worked with this year were also asking me to help them with presentations. Because as we know, um, standing up in front of people and having to present, it, it can be quite nerve wracking for uh, most of the population. Uh, I think there's a there's a small part of the population mm -hmm. that relish this moment to stand up and, and speak and but uh, not that many and um so uh, positive intelligence is a is is a coaching uh, methodology uh, started by Shazachamin in uh, Stanford University in America and one of the tools that and it comes back to what I did in the, the inner game when I started reading that is to be more focused on your your body one of your senses so whether it's your vision, whether it's your hearing, uh, but touch. And when I did my exercises with the breathing, I was thinking about numbers and feeling really focused, but I never used touch. And I think that's really, it can be really powerful. So when you um, are really, say you, you're rubbing your finger, um, say you, your index finger on the palm of your other hand, it's quite ticklish, and you, and you feel what that feels like, your brain activity actually shifts uh, when you in, in that tactile part of your your um, your body. When you your brain it moves to your prefrontal and middle cortex and your empathy circuitry. So in that part of your brain, it's a lot easier to see solutions, and it gets you away from your um, survival mode, the limbic system. You know where you were talking about ruminating. So, oh, you know that happened last time. I hope this doesn't happen. What if? What if that? What you want to get out of that part of your brain? And I think this is a really useful tool that people can use along with good breathing and and, and touch. And it's quite interesting if you look at um, Saint Adal. He's got all these these tacks of you know holding his shirt and, and you know that whole routine that he goes through. Mm -hmm. the 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 routine obviously we know it's sort of a comforting routine that's good you do it before every point uh, and i'm not saying his routine is is great because <laughs> i don't like watching it but find your own routine and this is important find your own unique routine really focus on good breathing but if you need to uh do something that involves touch and really focus on that because that gets you into the present moment and that's really good for performance. So mm -hmm. if, if you are going to uh, stand up in front of a thousand people, you know, and these thoughts are ruminating in your mind, oh, I'm going to get my words wrong. Or I'm going to forget this. I'm going to do this. If you do that beforehand, few breathing exercises, focus on your sense of touch 
and 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 go out there with a positive mindset, then uh, then you've got a much better chance um, of succeeding. Uh, interestingly, that also um, we all have uh, unique uh, limiters in our, in our way of thinking and behavior. Uh, uh, we call it saboteurs in in, in uh, positive intelligence. And, you know, it's things like I, I mentioned earlier, the hyperachiever, the restless, uh, the hyper-rational, um, the pleaser. And uh, once you know what your behavioral type is, the idea is to quieten that down. Because when you're under stress, uh, that's when these saboteurs will come out to play. <laughs> mm. And, uh, you know, you. I remember my, my, my son recently told me he played at a grass court tournament in Ilkley about two or three years ago. And he said to me, dad, I think the baseline is, is a little bit closer in and the net's higher. <laughs> I go, Believe you me, these courts are standard, but this is what happens with your mind. When you're in a stressful situation, uh, you, you don't see things clearly. Suddenly everything seems to be on top of you and, and you need to find a way of overcoming that and sort of get yourself into, as you said earlier, the flow, mm -hmm good breathing, go out with it with a positive mindset. Uh, but I believe some of these tools can can really make a difference. I, I've used it um, on tennis players, cricketers, um, fighter pilots, um, you know, it, it really, they really work. And, and I've seen this myself, uh, you know, turning my performances around when I was a youngster, mm -hmm. how that really helped me uh, to, to, to get into the present moment and to, to breathe, be relaxed. And, and we know that when you play and when it's present presenting or anything, if you do it without thinking consciously about what you're doing, that's when you're going to give your best performance. Mm -hmm. And 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 when you're in that part of your brain, uh, it's 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 a lot easier to perform at that level. That's uh, some some really good tools there. Thank you, Morris. And and um, yeah, let's get out get out of our own way. That, that that's probably like ninety percent of the goal of life, isn't it? Like yes. when when we're trying to move through this world, whatever activity we're doing, yeah, the 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 monkey mind can can hijack us pretty quickly. And the saboteur, I like that because yeah, we have that sabotaging part of our brain. But that links me really nicely to flow. I think we're already naturally talking about flow. Yes. Um, we love the state. It's it's a state that. You know, all athletes trying to get into for sport, sport offers us a great chance for flow. Maybe other areas in life do and don't as much, but sport is a great, great um, proponent and a, a funnel for flow. Um, any tips about getting towards flow? You've already said some about the kind of the touch on your palm, the breathing technique. What about when you're in, in that environment? Like, you know, you feel like you're, you're performing, you're presenting. Is there, is there grounding methods, grounding tools? Are they the same tools that you would use? Yes. Um, so I, I said the, index finger on your palm but what what we use um, is literally and you can do it in in a meeting uh just your index finger on your thumb so the one hand and i and i always tell people when i when i start doing it with them to do it with the left hand if, assuming you're right-handed if you if you're left-handed do it with your right hand your other hand so you can literally do it in a meeting under the table nobody can see it and the advantage of that over breathing is, you know, if you're in a meeting and you and you suddenly take a pause and take a massive deep breath, people will think, well, what's wrong with him? He's, he's, he's under pressure. Uh, but you can do it uh, without anybody seeing it. And the, you can literally switch into that mode within 10 seconds. Mm. That's what we, we call a peaky rep, a positive intelligence rep is 10 seconds long. And um, so uh, you can do that. Uh, to get into the flow, that, that's a funny thing because 
the harder you try to get into the flow, exactly, <laughs> the more difficult it is. So it's it's getting. Um, so my my advice would be get to whatever you're doing, get that into autopilot. So you're going to rehearse, you're going to do it again, uh, and this is the problem in business compared to sport. We don't get chance to practice. We don't practice what we do in business. We just do it on the day. Mm. And in, in, in sport, we we repetitively practice and then we get to autopilot and we can, you know, we can hit a squash ball down the wall whilst you're thinking what you're going to have for dinner, you know, because you're on autopilot, you know, and that's that, that's a great place to be. Um, and so so my, my tips for for that, for, for, for getting into autopilot is, um, you know, be relaxed with what you're doing. Believe you can do it. You know, there's this thing about a uh, thing about self-efficacy. Mm. It's how well you can perform at something, and how well you believe you can perform. You know, we, if if those are in line, in tune, then then it's a lot easier. So somebody who's going to stand up in front of a thousand people and speak for the first time, they're not going to be that sure that they're going to be great at it. You know, but somebody who's and that's where experience comes into it, and and just time. You know, you do it, do it again. But I think if you if you do give yourself a positive narrative, you know, I can do this. Yeah, I've done it before in this situation. Then it's going to be a lot easier to 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 be at ease and and, and to achieve that. Um, one thing I've just picked up on you were saying the monkey brain, you know, chimp paradox. Mm. Um, so the interesting thing about that and also about senses is that um, when the the chimp, our emotional brain takes over it's about five times stronger so we need to have that moment of pause because when we're under stress we'll go to the emotional brain straight away uh, and this is why it's so good to have emotional control when you're a player but uh, after that uh, so i think it's something like 0.08 seconds the emotional mm -hmm. brain will respond um, then it's a little bit longer to um to touch and um vision and then rational brain, <laughs> that's mm -hmm. 0.35. So it's about four or five times slower. Wow. So the only thing that outperforms the um, uh, emotional brain, the, the chimp, is the computer. Now, what does that mean? The computer is, is 0.02 seconds. The computer in our minds are beliefs that we have, that we already have. Uh, and so this is where I think visualization becomes so important. Because um, if you have visualized a certain scenario happening and how you're going to react, and may maybe not just once, but a few times, and, and then that becomes something that you hold. You know, so say road rage. I My belief is that I'm not ever going to get involved in road rage. So the moment somebody cuts me up in the road, I have that belief. So I jump to that belief. Okay, mm -hmm. let him go. No, I'm not looking at you. See you later. You know. But if I don't have that belief, if I don't have it in the computer, in the hard drive, or if I haven't visualized it beforehand, then the chimp will be the first one to react. Mm. And then, 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 you know, <laughs> who knows what will happen? Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. yeah, visualization, I'm a massive proponent of it myself. Um, you know, I hear quite a lot of athletes talk about um, scenarios in their visualization, which I think is quite interesting. And a lot of the visualization I'm hearing now, I think when I was taught visualization 20 years ago, it was a little bit more the law of attraction, which was imagine yourself lifting the trophy up and, and, it, and it was a little bit fluffy. It was a little bit Hollywood and it never really kind of resonated with me, but 
what I'm hearing now, a lot of the visualization is based on processes, first of all. So, you know, you're really kind of getting the processes, but scenarios, and, and this comes into what, what I call negative visualization. You neg- you visualize the worst case scenario, you visualize mm-hmm. going five love down in, in games straight yeah. away and it's going, okay, what's my response? And, and yeah. that's what a lot of the kind of athletes are talking about, which I think is really powerful because you know, we've got to predict the worst. And this is not a doom and gloom attitude. This is not an attitude of going, oh, I'm so depressed. I'm doom and gloom. It's it's real life. You know, you said it earlier. We're going to spend the majority of our lives and careers actually in friction and with resistance. It's really rare we flow effortlessly through this life and whatever we're doing. So if we can put things in place that that help us mitigate the difficult things, surely that's a good thing to visualize, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. Totally agree. I, I often had like three... Um, sort of uh, levels of story for my visualization for a match is like what's going to be when it goes great you know so I'm four love up like let's keep the focus let's keep going let's not be surprised by the fact that I'm suddenly playing this top seed and I'm four love up so that's the one thing the other thing is playing an average match it's going to be tough you know neck and neck all the way through but then also visualize when everything goes wrong so if I'm prepared for that moment, you know, you're playing against a tough opponent. Um, Agassi was talking about uh, Jeff Durango, who, um, you know, there were a bit of a scuffle and some line calls. And I actually played with Jeff and, and against him. One time he was jumping into my, my opponent was serving and he was jumping with his squeaky new shoes. It was indoor carpet. It was making a loss into the service box that my partner was serving to. Wow. Yeah, which okay. is really not that's uh, across mm. the line of, of what you should be doing in a tennis match. And then just before he'd serve, he'd jump out of the box. And the umpire wasn't pulling him up on it. But uh, then my partner tried to hit him, you know, because if you if you hit him on the fly, then it's your point. Yeah. So uh, and then he just ducked and my partner said the double fault. So when you're playing people like that, you need to pre-prepare that these things could happen. And then, as you say, how am I going to react? So you rehearse how you're going to react. So yeah, you 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 see if the wheels come off, what am I going to do? If I'm going to have a, a tough match, as you know normally the matches are, or if I'm having this flyer, I need to be ready for that as well. Mm, that's great. Yeah, I love I love those three levels. I've I've not thought about it like that. So yeah, thank you for sharing that. Um, listen, Morris, we 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 we're really kind of digging deep here. Yeah. I, I want to respect your time as well. So I've got a couple more little questions I'd like to unpack with sure. you, if that's okay. Um, so. I'm I'm always interested in this. I, I tend to ask this question. What common what common habits do you see amongst successful high performers? They like the, the most common things they do is there is it discipline? Is it habits? What what comes to mind with successful high performers? Yeah, it's definitely uh, good habits, discipline, and I think a lot of them have drive. Mm-hmm. You know, so um. And I think, again, it comes back to that. They can see their future successfully and then they they go after it. Um, I wouldn't always say that um, those people that are really successful are also the ones who are very calm and, and relaxed. <laughs> so, so I think sometimes um, if you're talking about really high performance uh, or performers, they, uh, they are very driven. And then sometimes that leads to um, sort of over-focus on, um, you know, what their, their goals and, and what they're doing and what they're going to sacrifice. Mm. Um, so, yeah, it, it, it's difficult to, I guess, sometimes you have to make a choice between 
are you going to be comfortable and are you going to be, um, you know, enjoying what you're doing to a certain point? Or are you going to be just so driven that you're going to leave this legacy behind and, and, and maybe not for, for some years, at least not be that balanced in your lifestyle. Mm. But I think um, if you can do both, that, that, that'll be great, mm. you know, to, so it's, it's finding out what, where your strengths are and, Doing it sort of more, I, mean, I think at that high level, it's not always in the flow, but to a certain point where you're comfortable and balanced, mm. uh, yet delivering your best at the mm. same time. I think that that would be a, a better goal than being all out. I have to achieve, and 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 people like that can also take people with them, you know, because if people are becoming if they they become controllers, then they they don't motivate their team. And, 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 and these days, I think the world um, is so changing so fast that people need to have teams around them because we don't have all those skills. You know, it, some leaders will have a lot of strengths, but they won't have all the strengths mm. to take a team or a company with them. So you need the right supporters with you and, and they need to be motivated. So it's finding that way to, to motivate those people with you because after a while, people will work for you for so long, but after a while, they need to be motivated themselves to keep doing it. Yeah, and I think 100%. that's that, that that's so important. Mm. Yeah, well said. I think I think it really just slightly tips into the mental well being angle. Um, you know, yes, we've we've got we've got outcomes, and and uh, you know, uh, fortunately, unfortunately, the world is all about you know the big billboards, the posters, and and it's like shoving success down our throats the whole time. And if you if you're not that, you're a failure, aren't you? It's it's a really hard thing because you know the the Hollywood films, the adverts, all of these things are like going. Yeah, look, like if you only do this, you can reach this level, but only 0.001% of the population even get close to that. And how can you be okay with being the best version of yourself, running your own race and not letting society dictate to you what success or failure is? And, you know, we could have a whole podcast just on that mental well-being yeah. angle. What, what do you think of that as maybe a final closing message about, you know, high performers, athletes, and getting that balance of, of achievement, but also mental well-being at the same time? Yeah, I, I think the first thing to recognize is that we're all very unique. And my advice to people would be to go out there and find out what their strengths are, what they're good at, and focus on those because that's going to give you the most mileage. Yeah. As long as your the weaknesses don't hold you back uh, or your limitations don't hold you back, find those strengths uh, and, and focus on them. But don't overdo them, you know, um, be disciplined, have good habits, good behavior. Uh, but it, it's not worth getting yourself to that state where mentally you, you can't handle what you, what you're dealing with. And it's interesting how people that are really at the top, how, uh, calm they are. <laughs> Sometimes they portray uh, that, but, um, you know, if you can operate in that space where you are comfortable with your surroundings and how you're performing. I think that that's the key. Don't, mm. don't push yourself beyond what you're capable of. Do what, what, what you, you know, obviously you're going to push the comfort zone if you're going to perform really at a high level, but uh, don't overdo it. And, and that's difficult to, to find out. But the other thing you, you, you touched on is don't compare yourself to other people. Like you say, run your own race. 
uh, I think that that's probably one of the best pieces of advice uh, and, and focus on your uniqueness. Awesome. Boris, this has been such a treat. There's there's at least five or six other avenues we could have gone down. Maybe there's a part two in the offering at some point in the future. This has been thoroughly fun. I hope you've enjoyed it. Um, A final little closing uh, bit. Where can people find you if they want to get hold of you? Can you signpost people to um, yeah, to, to where to find you? Yes. So um, LinkedIn is probably the, the best place to find me. I'm, I'm not on other social medias currently. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I'm email address or uh, Marius Barnard tennis at gmail.com. They can get me there or on the mobile. I'm, I'm quite happy to, to have conversations with people. If you want, um, yeah. You know, I, we don't have no, to just, give you a number out if you don't want, no, but that's, no, let's, let's uh, keep it email address and LinkedIn, I think. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. To keep it there. And, um, uh, but if, if people want to call me, I'm sure they can find that information. I'm, I'm quite happy to do the old fashioned on the telephone. Um, <laughs> But uh, yeah, if people wanted, uh, what I also do is I, I often have a, a conversation of sort of 45 minutes to an hour just to find out what, what people really want, where they want to go, et cetera. So I'm, I'm, I'm quite up for that because I, I just really love helping people with mindset issues and, um, you know, helping their performance getting them to improve um that, that really makes me tick really mm. and and you can tell with with your your passion your knowledge your 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 tips your advice from today and i feel so lucky to have sat down with you for the best part of an hour and really captured this really insightful conversation so morris thank you so much for today really appreciate it um and yeah listen i hope your sons have a great birthday and yeah let's let's keep in touch okay thanks jesse i really enjoyed it all the best <laughs>